I'm embarrassed that I did not know enough about my, about my ancestry to pass on to my kids. I mean, I, I, I kind of sort of knew about our, about our land timeline. What is that? Everybody knows that, right? 1000 BC, we had Mayans, and then we have now. <laughs> and what is this, the age of Pitbull? Oh, Pitbull. What's good, y'all? <laughs> this is Code Switch. I'm Gene Demby. That voice you just heard was John Leguizamo, the multi-hyphenate actor, comedian, playwright, producer. He was in Carlito's Way and Tu Wong Fu. All those Ice Age movies. He's got all the jobs, basically. But in his job as a playwright, he's consistently taken on what it means to be Latino, particularly in New York City, as a child of immigrants. He's Colombian-American, by the way, but more on that a little bit later. Leguizamo's latest is his fifth one-man show called Latin History for Morons, which you heard at the top. And speaking of someone else who has all the jobs, I promise, Audie, that was not a joke about Jamaicans. (laughs) It's not a joke about Jamaicans. Audie Cornish went up to New York to check out the show and talk to John Leguizamo. She's sitting across from me in the studio right now. Hey, homie. Hey, usually you call me your play cousin. You are a play cousin. like that a lot. See? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Our play cousin, Audie Cornish, is in the studio. For those of you who do not know, how could you not know? Uh, Audie is the host of NPR's All Things Considered. So we brought in a ringer because Shireen is on assignment this week. But she is a total pro and I will try and do her proud. Audie, you saw Latin History for Morons, which is wrapping up its run this week. What did you think? It's interesting because for so long when he was first coming up Mm -hmm. um, in theater and then in Hollywood, he was often described as manic, right? It (laughs) was like mambo mouth, you know, the manic John Leguizamo. Uh, And then to see him costumed as a rumpled professor and to actually know that he is in his 50s. Mm-hmm. And so that there, crazy. there's a little element of like, uh, you know, well, he's talking about his kids and his family. And like, so this is not this kind of like manic street kid from New York who's like depicting all of these characters on stage. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the fact that he more or less plays one character, mm-hmm. you know, like himself and then this kind of professorial version of himself mm-hmm. felt very different. So the show's a little bit more subdued. It's still fun. He still has a lot of energy. Um, but, like, it's a long way from a show like, you know, Spicorama, right, mm-hmm. which has, like, controversial title, controversial <laughs> right. characters. Like, everything about it is, like, you know, kind of bright lights neon. Right. And this is not that. So, as you said, Legozamo's a, a father now. And he said a few years ago that he was worried about his kids and what they were learning or what they were not learning about Latino history in the United States. And to your point, he was wearing, he was dressed up like a professor because he wants to teach his kids about that about that history, right? Right. There are books everywhere. I'm pretty sure he's quoting from the People's History of the United States. <laughs> anyone with their liberal arts education yep. stumbled into such a class. Raise his hand. Yeah, you've got a copy somewhere. Um, and so this is quite literally history. Mm-hmm. It's like the Mayans, the Incans, and then another thing. And then in the Civil War, like he really digs into especially military history because uh, the premise of the show is in part that he's helping his teenage son with a school project. And in the process of that, trying to help uh, help his son find Latin heroes, mm-hmm. Latin American heroes. Um, but I think it's a lot of what he's doing is dressing up a little bit of a history lesson, right? Like he's doing lots of things to kind of keep you engaged, but he is actually trying to convey a fair bit of information. You said there's a lot of voguing. <laughs> there's some voguing. Well, there's like periodic dance breaks, which at first I was like, what's going on? They were very amusing. And then the sort of writer in me was like, oh, this is like a narrative break because mm-hmm. he's just stuffed your head full of a bunch of information or a story about conquistadors or something. And now he wants you 
you <laughs> to like not feel so sad, right? When he's told you some history that is also pretty dark, right? Mm-hmm. Like the history of the creation of Latin America, so to speak, is one that's like forged in blood and colonialism mm-hmm. and all kinds of things. And so he had to every once in a while do something like silly to get your attention. Though his voguing, um, I can't quite remember how this came up, but I remember thinking it was really good because I follow Vogue clips on Instagram. Do you? And so I'm like constantly, every day I get a little dose. And he did the drop at the end. And he like, he got up. But you could see it was work. You could see. <laughs> I love this little detail about you that you follow Vogue clips on Instagram. Clearly I'm not the only one. John Leguizamo got it. Speaking of dark histories, though, he d- sort of minds his own personal history with his father he has a very complicated relationship with his own father um in a few of his earlier plays freak and some other shows he dives into this really unflattering caricature of his father and he portrays his father as a drunk and also someone who has a lot of anger and resentment about his outsider status as a colombian immigrant to the united states here's a little bit of what he said to terry gross on whyy's fresh air way back in 1991 right before mambo mouth his hbo special premiered when they first came here, my father was had two jobs in restaurants, and he tried to pass himself off as Italian so that he wouldn't have to be washing dishes in the kitchen because he was light-skinned enough and his features were were passing enough so that he could pass for for, for Italian. And so he'd tell them that he was Italian and, and fake an Italian accent. <laughs> I guess that's where I got my acting skill from, from surviving. And, and then he'd get waitering jobs so he could make more money. And then he'd have two of those jobs or three of them sometimes. I hardly saw my father that much when I was growing up. I, have, I come from a very workaholic-type family. When your father was passing for Italian, did yeah. that used to eat away at him when he came home? Um, I, I don't think so. Not, not my father. Uh, I don't want to talk about him anymore because <laughs> he, he, it's, it's hard. Um. Uh, no, it didn't eat at, at, away at him. I mean, I think my fa- my father had a lot of shame with him. He's always had a lot of shame with me about his accent, and 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 he'd assume, and I assume sometimes that when you go to restaurants and, and you're given, even my aunts, my family, you just can't help it. You go to restaurants and you're given like this weird funky table all the way in the back. You think it's because of who you are, because of your ethnicity, because you're Latin, and and they dislike you. But sometimes I don't think it's that. It's interesting hearing her ask that question about, uh, like, did it eat away at him or something like that? I think sometimes that reflects, like, um, a lack of knowledge about that. Maybe I'm speaking as an immigrant here Mm -hmm. where the attitude is very, like, you do what you have to do Mm -hmm. because there is a rent that needs to be paid. Like, you don't do things. I feel like things eat away at you at times because of, like... You're you maybe privilege, <laughs> but if you don't have any privilege and you're trying to do what you need to do to get by, then yeah, I'm Italian for the day. Right, right. This is a practical concession. Yeah. Right. Uh, as an aside, as I was prepping for this convo with you, I was looking up some stuff about John Leguizamo. His father and him actually got into this weird war of words in the press. His father said that Leguizamo was actually like papering over his Colombian heritage. He, he was pretending to be Puerto Rican when he's actually Colombian. Um, for the record, John Leguizamo IDs as Puerto Rican and Colombian. Um, but the sense relationship he has with his pops comes up over and over in his work. I actually want to just play a little clip here of him playing his father in his one-man show, Freak, from 1998. And when my father drank, he just became the nicest, most lovable, huggable son of a bitch in the land. And my father would go on the fire escape in his underwear sit me on top of his lap and start with those playful hits. 
and wailing. Wailing to old world songs like if he was the king of everything. Porto maldito amor, no puedo terminar con tantas penas. It's interesting hearing this now because in his latest show, the father-son relationship is about him and his own son. It's a lot more forgiving, mm-hmm. a lot more tender. Mm-hmm. Um, but we should mention that his parents divorced when he was very young. Okay. Okay. So for everyone who's been through a divorce, you know, like, you know, the it can affect uh, the relationship you have. And later on when he did these shows, his not just father, but also mother and brother actually objected to some of the ways they were portrayed and told him so. Hmm. So it did cause some friction in the family as his career blew up. And remember, these autobiographical shows aired like on HBO and things like that as he was coming up. I mean, one thing I'll say is that, you know, if you're coming up in New York in the 80s and 90s, this is in the midst of the like New Yorkian cultural movement. It's about New York and it's about Puerto Rico and being Puerto Rican. It's also in America where the kind of sociopolitical trifecta is like Mexican, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Cuban, Puerto Rican. Rican. If you're not one of those three things, we're all too lazy to figure (laughs) it out, right? And like not really um, like give people uh, the respect of figuring out where they're from and how that might be different. So he's he's basically taking all of these different identities, which for a New Yorker is not so much of a stretch, really, right? <laughs> and he puts it all into, like, one person. And that's what you're seeing in these different shows, the the kind of maturation of this, this person and these identities. So how does he wrestle with this stuff as it pertains to his son, like, on stage? So now here he is as an adult in New York. His kid's at a private school. You know, he's John Leguizamo, actor, like all capital mm-hmm, mm-hmm. letters. And... He he has a kid who he loves and has a tender relationship with, but they still, he's still like a teenager, right? Like even John Leguizamo's son closes the door in his face. Right. I mean, my, my dad is referenced in the play somewhat. Not not in the most positive light. Um, I mean- But I, now I, you're on the other side of the slamming yeah, door. I know, but yeah. I mean, that's a hard relation for me to reconcile because- Too close still. I, I, I just- give everybody their due responsibility for their side of the relationship and i just feel like it's a two-way street and i i i crossed the i went up to the middle of the meridian where how come you didn't meet me halfway and i feel like i have i make choices as a parent to be present to to you know sacrifice some job sacrifice personal you know pleasure and and gain to to be with them and uh i wish that had happened that my dad, I, I, I put the responsibility to him. It wasn't just that he was an immigrant. I know he had a hard life. I know it was a, it's a struggle being poor. I understand all that, but still you're making choices that aren't positive for your kids. So how so do you- So it sounds like at the very least you have a better sense of yourself as a father. I like better have, you know how many thousands made? of dollars I spent in therapy? <laughs> I better be a better man for all that <laughs> money, you know. That was I funded some people's second home. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think it's fascinating hearing the difference between him today versus in that Fresh Air interview. From the early 90s? Yeah, like how much he's reconciled with that relationship. Even though the relationship itself doesn't sound reconciled, mm-hmm. he's at a place now where he's like, hey, 
I tried, Dad. You know? <laughs> <laughs> this is a spot for therapy, by the way. Therapy yeah, is good. Exactly. <laughs> Pro-therapy here. Um, so who were who are the people who, who was using as a template for his own ethnic identity growing up? Was, were there other Latinos or like what was he looking at? You know, I think the way, first of all, there wasn't anything like that on the stage mm-hmm. on Broadway, right? So he was really doing something that was unusual. He had to carve out that space for himself. There was right. no In the Heights or anything like that. And the people he talked about as his influences were like Spalding Gray or Lily Tomlin, who I think had the first woman autobiographical show, um, Richard Pryor. Mm-hmm. So what he decided was to say, okay, this whole play today is about how he didn't quite know his heroes were, right? So Mm. back then, what he had to do is kind of pull it from himself and from his community and explore those people. Mm -hmm. And that's what you see in all of his work over and over again. And I think it's interesting, that list of people that he talked about, you know, Pryor, Tomlin, or even if you think back to like a Whoopi Goldberg, if you're an outsider in Broadway, like you have to make your own space. Right, because no one's going to cast you. No one's going to cast you. So the one-man show makes total sense and mm-hmm. it makes total sense that a guy like John Leguizamo was like forged in that <laughs> particular creative fire. I was growing up in in the 70s. Everything was white on TV, so I wanted to be white. And then you know... You even have a I, character in one of the shows. Yeah, yeah once we the assimilation yeah. character. And then we moved to a black neighborhood, then I want to be black. You know, and I was like... And then eventually I wanted to be, I was okay being Latin, you know? It took it took a while, you know? I was thinking, um, would you have done this show 20 years ago with a name like this? No, I mean, I wasn't, I didn't Not have, just that, but just the idea of doing something that was just like, I'm going to tell you about Latino history, right? It seemed like in the past people of color had to smuggle ideas oh, yeah, onto always. the stage. You still got to smuggle. I still got to put it in humor for people to, for it to be palatable. Even Latin people, they, they don't want to hear their own history. No, Nobody does, you know. So, you know, because I started the show in comedy clubs with just history. And people were angry. And then when I, you know, because it starts with my son, but then I, I left the, 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 I didn't want to talk about my kid's private life. So I just did history. It, that was just a trigger. And then I realized, no, these people, I'm not going to stomach this without my including personal analogies to the history, personal life. And when I started doing that, oh, then they started coming to me, you know, and then they started staying and then they started not so being so So the dancing hostile. wasn't enough. You couldn't just do like lecture with periodic voguing. No, no, there was no dancing at the beginning. <laughs> okay. Then when I started at the dancing, then I really got them. <laughs> oh my God, the high school kids, they lost, with the, with the voguing and all that stuff was going on, they lost it. Oh, they were so great You clearly that. looked at some YouTube videos or been <laughs> out <laughs> in, in the evenings because there was some moves that I was like, that's suspiciously accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, my death drop is so fake and bad because I'm 50. There's no way I can do a, a proper death drop without actually it being a permanent death. You did get back <laughs> up. You got, you popped back up. <laughs> I don't know if popped up is the right word. But more like slowly crawled up. <laughs> You made it. You made it. <laughs> I made it. I made it. I made it to standing. That's woo. <laughs> Audie, you are the guest, so you should take us to the break. The break. All right. When we come back, we're going to have more from my conversation with John Leguizamo, um, this time about writing the play in part for his son, who um, was beaten up and bullied by his classmates for being Latino. You're so good at this. You know, I try. <laughs> Stay with us. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Blue Apron. Blue Apron partners with sustainable farms, fisheries, and ranchers to bring you all the ingredients you need to create incredible home-cooked meals. 
Ingredients come paired with an easy-to-follow recipe card, delivered to your door weekly in a refrigerated box. Rediscover how fun cooking can be while enjoying specialty ingredients and exploring new flavors and cuisines. Get your first three Blue Apron meals free, plus free shipping, by visiting blueapron.com slash codeswitch. Thanks for listening to Code Switch, and we want to tell you about a new way to get the news each morning. Up first is the morning news podcast from NPR. Give us 10 minutes and you get a sense of the stories and big ideas of the day, the stuff you really need to know and why it matters. So start your day with Up First weekday mornings from 6 a.m. Eastern Time on the NPR One app and wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, y'all, we're back. I'm here with Audie Cornish, the host of NPR's All Things Considered. So, Audie, when you talk to John Leguizamo about his play... Latin history for morons. He said he made it in part because his son was going through it. He was dealing with some of the same stuff that John dealt with growing up, except, you know, unlike unlike John, his son is growing up rich. Right. And also growing up, like, I guess maybe Leguizamo thought he might be sort of inoculated from the kinds of slurs or slings and arrows that he grew up hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then here his son is experiencing it as well. Uh, and that was really jarring for him. Bizarre. Because we were in a private school. It's a very expensive New York City private school in 2014, I think it was. And uh, they're calling him a a beaner, which is a slur to Mexicans. And, you know, my son was very offended by it and very put off by it. And it it triggered in him a lot of uh, resentment. and, And it became hard for him to function at school. And for you? Well, it was just, well, it wasn't, that was just the beginning of it. I mean, the bullying took on some really dark, sinister um, tones to it. I mean, it wasn't just a name calling. Then it became sort of cyberbullying. Then it became uh, violent. And then it became exclusionary. So he was excluded from parties, from events. I think that the name calling didn't bother me as much as, as the physical and excluding him out of things. You know, that that's the stuff that really... You know, it knocks the air out of you as a parent. You know, I, I was like beside myself, you know, and then I wanted to make, make my son feel, because he was alone now all the time after, it was almost two years of bullying. Uh, I started to really study Latin history, but American Latin history. I've always studied our empires to empower myself, you know, and to have a, a, an ammunition against anybody who could try to put me down. Your solo shows often uh, take characters from your own life. This one very much is centered around your your life and my immediate family, yeah. As a father, um, and I know in the past that that hasn't always been easy. That there's been family oh, yeah. members who have been upset. Yeah, yeah. Has your son <laughs> seen the play? Read the play? What was his reaction? You know, I kept it from them as as, as long as I could till it was in in the perfect shape, so that they, you know, I didn't want my son to be offended in any kind of way. Obviously my children and protecting them is is is, a, is the most important thing in my life and and I had borrowed his story so I you know without his permission um and and then so he came finally last week with my daughter for the first time and they saw it and they loved it and so I was like oh my god I can't believe they were able to be mature enough to understand the meta of the whole situation of somebody taking their persona, caricaturizing it, because that's what happens in a one-man show. Things get sort of like become a Hirschfield, you know I mean? 
I'll right, like it. the daughter in it is a figure where you sort of are emulating wearing headphones all the time. Right, and she talks and, like yeah. this, you know, she's got that. My daughter talks like that, and she she did for a little while, but she's worked on it, and, it, and she doesn't talk like that so much anymore. So you pointed out before we came into the studio that um, he's come in for a lot of criticism for that caricaturizing, as he says, for the way he's portrayed Latino characters in his plays in the past. Um, some people have said that they've been really stereotypical depictions. Yeah, I think this was definitely more prominent when he first came out. And this is a time when, you know, you have so little representation. I think thinking back to something you've talked about on this show in the past, rep sweats, Mm -hmm. like the idea that like if your community is being represented, then you sort of are like sweating how it's being represented. Mm -hmm. And I think he had to to counter that. I just think that the sort of street characters that he presents are the most stereotypical. That was from the writer Coco Fusco way back in 1991. The most conventional there's a way in which the process of selection can reinforce those stereotypes rather than expanding upon them. And I think this is one example of the, um, the editorial process reinforcing the stereotype, not expanding on it. Um, it is interesting listening to you talk about this. It sounds like uh, he has more space to do a different thing now, right? I mean, this play sounds very, very different like in terms of tone, but also in terms of intent and what he's trying to do than his other plays, right? Yeah, though at the time I was um, in doing the research for the interview, back during this time when she made this critique, one of his responses um, I want to read from, he said, like, some Latins wonder why I'm not doing these Bill Cosby-type doctors. My show's not about creating new images. It's about taking old images and twisting them inside out and saying all these horrible things about our feelings of inferiority and racism that we feel inside and have heard growing up. And I don't think he's the first or the last... um, uh, comedian who had to wrestle with the idea of like presenting the best side of things so to speak and uplifting the race and mm-hmm. all of this stuff and like obviously before the name of Bill Cosby was like utter garbage <laughs> uh, there was a time and it was in the 90s when it was like yeah why aren't you doing this like family humor to represent our community mm-hmm. and he as you can hear, was like, that's not what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to make us look at ourselves and be okay being critical. So, of course, he came in for this kind of criticism because, like, he's out there and he's the first. And, you know, he's out there in movies later on, like, Tu Wong Fu, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, where he's, like, playing a drag queen. And it it was a different time politically. And I think I'd like to know maybe from your point of view, like, how... How do you look at a John Leguizamo now, right? I mean, to me, he's like practically a mellow figure Mm -hmm. and a figure rooted in a certain period. Yeah, he seems like, I don't know if it's because we're younger than him or like, but he seems much more quaint than I remember him seeming in the 90s when, you know, his shows were always on HBO, right? And I remember them feeling really like kind of dangerous and really pointed and also from like an experience, a cultural experience that was not mine, right? Um, And now it feels like so much of that kind of comedy and humor is out in the world that it feels like he's playing with like a vocabulary that everyone is playing with. It feels a lot less pointed, you know? And I also asked him about this mellowing out because, you know, his persona before was a kind of quote unquote anger and Mm -hmm. used to make jokes about ghetto rage. And Mm -hmm. he was also playing on the expectations of the audience of being this like angry Latino street kid somehow. Right. So here's what he had to say about that. It was all about struggle. I mean, especially Mambo Mouth and then Spokarama too a little bit, but yeah, definitely Mama Mother so much about the struggle, about being other, being second class citizens, 
You know, I, I, it, 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 that's what it was about. It was I, I wanted to capture sort of the, the broad spectrum of Latin experience in New York City. So now do you feel like you've made peace with some of that or that version of yourself? It doesn't seem like you're punching up. No, I mean, <laughs> even I, though right, the right. show is called Latin History yeah, for yeah. Morons, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, I won't say you're punching down, but it just seems, it seems like you're speaking from a different place. De- de- I mean, definitely. I mean, I'm not, I'm not in poverty anymore and I'm not starting my career. You know, I definitely have a lot of uh, privileges. Um, but not me. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm speaking still about a repairing. You know, I'm still about fixing things, about making it an equal playing field. You know, I mean, look what POTUS came out and said about land people. I mean, it's how can that be happening in 2016? Where, what happened? Where am I? Did I get into a time tunnel and got swept back into the 1800s? Uh, it, it's just shocking, you know? So I think my play got more importance and I became much more pointed about what I was saying. Historic footnote, people. Why is all our art called folk art and then all of European art is called fine art and then modern art is just our folk art gentrified? (laughs) You, sir. (laughs) You knew I was going to give you a second chance. I guess we're not getting a second chance. We're just getting a second demerit. Okay. All right. I don't really want to have to stay after school and tutor your ass, so pay attention. That was John Leguizamo in his latest one-man show, Latin History for Morons. All right, Audie, as you know, we like to close the podcast with a song from a guest that's giving us life, and you are our guest. So what are you listening to right now? I am listening to uh, Bambi by Jadena. Bambi, Bambi, Okay. And you mocked me as soon as I raised this as a possibility. So I need to know what you have against no, I, I, what is it wasn't clearly mockery. a lovely pre-summer jam. It is it's definitely a summer song. It's a very specific song. So I'm just, I'm just curious as to what you might have been feeling. With. I think I got a lot of nostalgia because it feels it's got a Caribbean diaspora mm. flavor. It makes me think of all of those reggae songs that were like, yeah, about like, I have many women but you're the one I truly love. <laughs> you know, it's a pretty boy heartbreaker song. Mm-hmm. But when you have a long news day, you get in the car and you put this on. <laughs> and who amongst us has not had no that No matter how crazy the news seems, I guarantee this song in the first few bars will make you feel better. I thought you just might have had a thing for like light skin dudes with conks. Oh you know? boy, but I like... knew it was going to come on to that. <laughs> I knew it was going to be about that. <laughs> my dear, my dear, my dear. Hey, pretty never hurts. <laughs> Audie Cornish, thank you so much for rocking with us this week. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. You want to tag team the credits with me? Yeah, credits. Let's do it. That is our show for this week. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at NPR Code Switch. Subscribe to the podcast wherever fine podcasts can be found or streamed. Sammy Yenigan and Walter Ray Watson produced this episode. Original music is by Ramteen Arablui. A shout out to the rest of the Code Switch team. Leah Danella, Adrian Florido, Karen Grigsby-Bates, and Kat Chow. Our editor is Jaleka Lantigua-Williams. I'm Gene Demby. And I'm Audie Cornish. Be easy. Will do. NPR is working with the Knight Foundation to better understand how listeners like you spend time with Code Switch and other podcasts. Please help us out by completing a short anonymous survey at npr.podcastingsurvey, all one word, dot com.